What's up, everybody? Episode number 95 of the Ridge Hunter Outdoors podcast coming at you this week with special guest Sean Wright. Sean Wright is a turkey caller with Woodhaven. He was with Bone Collector before that, and he was with Nightingale for like 30 years before that. He's a great guest. We got to talk about not only some hunting stuff, but a lot of turkey calling as well, talking about the circuit, and we got into some industry stuff too. So it was a really great guest. We had a good conversation with him. I think you guys are really going to enjoy it, so make sure you stay tuned for that. But first, don't forget about our partners on the Ridge Hunter Outdoors podcast. Starting with our longest standing partner, Grandpa Ray Outdoors. They specialize in providing the best nutrition for whitetail deer on your property, starting with the soil. They've got a full line of high quality food plot seed and plant foods. They were started in 2015, but John up there has been in the seed and nutrition business since 1991, so he knows a little bit about it. With over 14 different food plot blends to choose from, you're not going to have any trouble finding what you're looking for. They've got fall and spring blends, corn and beans, switchgrass, liquid fertilizer, soil test kits, you name it, they've got it. They aren't just about selling their products, though. They're going to answer any questions you have about what blends would be best for your specific property, your specific soil type, geographic location. That way, you can achieve the best results possible for your property. Like us, John and his team don't believe in a cookie-cutter approach to wildlife nutrition. They're going to treat you and your situation individually. They're not about a fancy label or package either. They're about good quality seed and taking care of their clients. We've used their seed blends on our own client properties. That's, that's the only seed blend we use on the client properties, aside from our Ridge Hunter, Clover, and Chicory. And we use it on our properties too. And we're going to keep doing that. That's actually why we partnered with them in the first place is because they had such a great product. And uh, it just kind of worked out. Uh, it's been a great partnership with them. So if you guys want to support the podcast and get yourself some new food plot seed to try or any of the other stuff I mentioned, go to GrandpaRayOutdoors.com and use the discount code Podcast. That's all lowercase. No space and you get 5% off your order there. We're also a dealer of Grandpa Ray Outdoors products. So if you see something on their website that you want, you can come in. Uh, make an order for it. Save yourself some money on shipping, too. Also, Rodney Hawkins is a partner on the podcast. If you guys have listened for a while, you know that. We're going to have him in here soon, hopefully, to do another one. Kind of update you guys on what's going on with him, what's going on with Midwest Farm and Land. If you don't know what that is, he is a land specialist with Midwest Farm and Land. They're not your average real estate company. Last year, they sold over $85 million worth of ground. So they specialize in recreational properties. They also do some residential stuff, but mostly recreation. With agents like Rodney all over Illinois, they're really a local company with a national reach. For more info on them or a property that may be available or to get yours listed, you can contact Rodney directly at 618-925-3153 and he'll get you taken care of. Don't forget, he's also got his own company called RG Outdoors. He's currently got products from Radix Hunting. He's got Tacticam trail cameras and he's got an all-natural elimination product called Camo Dust. If you guys are interested in any of that or seeing, you know, keeping up with the other new products they might have coming in to offer, go to their Facebook page. You can send them a message there. It's RG Outdoors. You can email them at rgoutdoors at yahoo.com or, again, just call Rodney directly at 618-925-3153. Don't forget to follow us on our socials. That's Ridge Hunter Outdoors. Facebook and Instagram are the two we use most of the time. We have a Facebook group as well, RHO Podcast Patrons. That way you guys can have some input on the podcast get some exclusive content. We're going to do some giveaways in there. And it's also, I mean, it's just another hunting hunting group uh, for Facebook. So you guys can get in there and share your harvest or stuff you've been seeing out in the field. Um, it's just a really good community of hunters in there. So RidgeHunterOutdoors.com is our website. Uh, if you find anything on there you like, whether it be the food plot seed that I mentioned earlier, whether it be the apparel, or maybe it's our scents that are going to be available here in just a few weeks. We're getting really close to the opener in Illinois, and we're going to have that stuff available about a week into the season. So any of that stuff, use a discount code RHOPOD. That's all caps, no space, and you get 10% off of that. 
If you're listening on Apple or Spotify, make sure you hit that follow button or anywhere else for that matter. Leave us a review. That really helps us out. It doesn't cost you anything. And then on the YouTube channel, like, subscribe, comment, all that kind of stuff. So with all that said and done, let's get into episode number 95 with Sean Wright. This is the Rich Hunter Outdoors podcast. What's up, everybody? We got Sean Wright calling in tonight. Uh, Rip Dickerson hooked us up. Sean, how you doing, man? Man, I'm doing real good. It's uh, finally cooled off a little bit up here in West Kentucky. It feels good this afternoon. I'm out here in the yard. It feels nice. Yeah, we're getting a little bit of that cool weather up here in southern Illinois, too. So uh, it's it's getting close. Well, you guys are deer season's in, I guess. Yeah, ours come in actually on September the 2nd. That's what I was sure thinking. Uh, but I haven't... Uh, I, I mean, I'm running a few cameras and checking on a few places, but I haven't spent a time yet in the woods, but I'm sure we're getting ready to. Yeah, I hear you. This weather's got the itch for a lot of people, and we got another couple weeks here. We don't start till October 1st, but we're looking forward to getting out there. And, I, and honestly, I'll probably do the same thing as you. Is when our season opens up, I usually don't get in too big a hurry to get out there unless I've got pictures of one or we get a cold front that comes in the first weekend or something. But those early season deer can be tough sometimes. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I've got a few decent deer, but I don't have nothing that I'd sweat over. You know, it's 90 degrees. I don't have a deer that I'd sit <laughs> yeah. up there and let the sweat run down me after him. But Right, right. Uh, nothing nothing worth that. Like it's, yeah, this cold front makes it feeling good. I'm getting a lot of pictures today of some good young pretty bucks, mm-hmm. you know, starting to move a little bit in the daylight. So mm-hmm. it's going to get better. Yeah, so like I said, you know, we were talking a little bit before there. First time guest. We try to start from the beginning, so let's go back here, and who kind of got you into hunting in the first place? Well, I first started my dad, man. Uh, you know, he took me everywhere with him, and uh, I was really fortunate. Uh, my mom tells me stories that dad took me dove hunting when he had to pack me, like eight, nine months old. I could even walk. <laughs> but, uh, so, you know, it's been in my blood all along. Uh, it's you know that i've been around here i'm 57 and so i've been hunting i guess 57 years but, uh, <laughs> yeah you don't have hearing problems from your dad shooting in your ear do you <laughs> I, do, I, do, <laughs> I do got hearing problems i i didn't think about it being dad but it could have i always blamed it on goose pits and calls and all that stuff but it might have been i got stunted years ago with my hearing i guess from an early age yep yes sir so what was kind of your first i guess experience as as hunting yourself, was it whitetails? Was it rabbits? Was it waterfowl? Upland game? Where'd you kind of start at? Well, I, uh, I can remember we got a little farm down here on the river, and we called it, Daddy always called it a little slough, like where drain comes oh, yeah. in from the river. And some of them was like a little circle mm-hmm. type stuff. Well, I'd be, I think I was seven years old. He'd take me down there squirrel hunting in the morning. He said, well, you got to learn to kill these squirrels by yourself. He said, I'm not going to help you. He said, but right here, it's a little circle. You can see all the way around. He said, you just stay right here in this little circle. And it got to where when I was seven years old, I could go down and kill my limit of squirrels. I killed six squirrels by myself. You know, and it just blew up from there. Oh, yeah. But, yeah. What were what you yeah. squirrel hunting with back then, 22? No, I was hunting with a 20 gauge. 20 gauge, there you well, go. Well, I started out with a 20. 
Yeah. And I hunted it with it one day, and then Daddy was shooting the end of my weight, 70 Wingmaster 12 gauge. I hunted it 21 day that afternoon. I said, I'm going to shoot your gun, Daddy. <laughs> so at eight years old, I started shooting the 12 gauge with squirrels. And then once I got up to a teenager, I went to the rifle, a little Ruger 1022s with a rifle uh-huh. scope. Mm-hmm. You know, we just, so me and some other boys down here to always play a game. Got to shoot them in the left eye and all that kind of crazy <laughs> yeah. stuff, you know. Right. Right. It didn't really work out real good most of the time, but that's fun though, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, it was fun. Uh, you know, it was fun. I, I think a lot of them boys would, he said, well, I shot him in the eye. It'd be a hole in the eye, but it'd be two holes in the leg and one <laughs> in the side. You know, I think he right. shot him in the eye after he was laying on the ground. <laughs> yeah, after he got up to him. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I've been really fortunate. The woods has just been my life. You know, me and my dad, we commercial fished. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was on the river, the Green River here every day, and it's just, you know, it's just my life. I still live out here. I don't live but a mile off the river, and mm-hmm. it's just, it's just way of life. You know, it's just what we do out here. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Do you remember your first deer? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, tell it us about it a little bit. Okay, we then Kentucky had a split season. Okay, it had. Uh, five days in November. We had five days in December. And I shoot a shotgun a slug, 12-gauge slug, and, and I got him in December. We, Me and Dad walked down the edge of the river, and the deer just stood up in the grass. And he said, you got a slug, so shoot him. And so I, luckily, I shot that deer and killed it. And I remember it being a button buck. I yeah. think everybody's first deer was a button buck. Yeah, mine was too. <laughs> Yep. Uh, so well, first we yeah. we walked back up to my my grandparents' house at the time, and Granddaddy walked back down there with us, and we quartered that deer out on the river and passed him out right there. I remember there it just like it happened yesterday. Those weren't very big quarters on that button buck, were they? No, it was pretty <laughs> easy to pack. Yeah, Daddy packed two, and Granddaddy packed two, and I just kind of walked, packed the gun, smiled all the way back. <laughs> yeah, your feet wasn't touching the ground anyway, <laughs> yeah. were they? No, I didn't have much of a horn or a head to pack back. So. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, you could have you could have tied his legs together and wore him as a backpack, probably. Yeah, probably could have. Probably could have. <laughs> okay, uh, so uh so are you the guy that John Prine wrote that song about the Green River? Paradise? Nah. <laughs> no, not you. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> probably someone like I, you. I spent a lot of time down there. I'm telling Daddy I always said Daddy knew more about it than anybody. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What you guys? What kind of fishing you guys do? Commercial fishing. We would we'd run them big hoop nets. Yeah, and then we'd run trot lines or trout lines. Ever how people say it up here? We call them trot lines. You yeah. know, but mainly we would fish them big hoop nets. We'd run eighteen nets, and we'd run nine one day, and then nine the next day. So what's and the? I was working third shift at the time. When we'd come in, when I'd come in, he'd be sitting here in the driveway already hooked up to the boat, and we'd be <laughs> just, gone just waiting on you. Yeah, yep. raising nets and dressing fish. So what's the craziest thing you ever pulled out of a hoop net? Uh, that you can talk about. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there you go. Uh, <laughs> I, you see, I remember the very first Asian carp, a big head carp that uh-huh. we caught. It was in uh, like in 88 or 89. That was before it, nobody even knew what the heck it was. Right. You know, it had big eyes on the bottom of its head. Its eyes would roll around and look at you. And that was the talk of the town. We thought we done caught some prehistoric fish or something. <laughs> you know? but, uh, yeah, who'd have thought 40 years later it would have been all over the place? 
Yeah, you can't even hardly fish down there for them now. They just burn many of them in the nets. You can't get it up. Yeah, yeah, I figured Very that. I mean, we got the, we got that problem in the little river here close to us. They're just, I mean, you about can't run down it without them trying to jump in the boat. Yeah, you set the trolling motor just right. You get a paddle out in front of the boat. You can whack them before they jump in the boat sometimes. <laughs> yes, sir. It's, it is yes, fun. Sir. Yeah, except when one of them hits you right in the face or the most <laughs> slimy thing, get up like yeah. a great big old stinking shad. Yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Oh, um, so you so you're doing all this stuff, I guess, in 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 high school after high school. Yeah, well, yeah, really, right after high school mm-hmm. uh, was when it really got where I was just going fishing and hunting. I was turkey hunting in like seven states and Man. just traveling everywhere. And I was fortunate enough to get two grand slams. And There you go. And it, it uh, you know, yeah, it's where it really bloomed. And then, uh, then I got married in 1990 mm-hmm. and we started a family. I was turkey calling. I'd, I'd won the Kentucky State in 85. Okay. In 87 and 88. And then in 90, I got married. What happened well, in 86? Uh, he found yeah, a woman. I, I, I he, he got married. Yeah, got something else was going on. Right? Hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. different type I, of concentration going on there. Yeah, got married, and then then the kids started coming, and, mm-hmm. and that, just the running and contest, and everybody, I just kind of backed out of it for a while and played daddy role and coached mm-hmm. through all, girls and boys all through school and basketball and everything, and then uh, after they've grown and gone on their own now but about eight years ago i got back into turkey calling again and the mm-hmm. contest and i've been traveling around and doing contests and everything and i haven't won the state but i got a whole stack of second place trophies because i'm up here in kentucky with jesse martin yeah yeah <laughs> and he's pretty hard to beat on the stage i uh he's awful good turkey caller i mean a man wins three or four grand nationals in a row he's yeah he's pretty short yeah, that's pretty tough yeah, I, he's pretty sharp. I've always heard. I'll take, take it him. Oh yeah, I've always heard guys talk about the kind of the turkey calling circuit, I guess, and, and running around doing it. And it seems to be, at least back in the day, from hearing guys talk about it, that it was a pretty pretty tight knit group of guys that that you would see, you know, pretty regular. Everybody was going to the competitions and trying to qualify and all that. Is it still similar to that now that you're back in it? Yes, sir. It's, it sure is. It's, it's we call it a family. We call it a turkey family. Almost, and it almost everybody. It seems like they're your best friends. But when the contest starts on stage, you just seem to step on the throat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's what goes, man. But but off of the stage, it's it's we're just like a family. I mean, it's a lot of us. It's I mean, we talk all the time and text with each other and mm-hmm. and hey, you know, have you tried this kind of read or have you tried this cut or how tight you stretch this one, this kind of call and. But, uh, but yeah, it's still about every contest you go to, like I called it Kentucky. And then, and then I went to Tennessee this past weekend is all almost exact same callers in Kentucky was here in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And I went up to Ohio and Cincinnati in uh, February and the same callers was, yeah, just the same little old group yeah. travels around. Yeah. So what kind of got you into all that, the turkey calling stuff in the first place? Well, a really good friend of mine when I, and I got out of high school, his name was Dwayne Holmes. Okay. And uh, then we didn't have a turkey season here in Kentucky. The only place in Kentucky was in the LBL, was the only place that had season then. And he got into it and he was, he ended up being a Kentucky State champion turkey caller, but I mean, he was really good. He was a great friend. We was bird hunting one day and he shot a bird 
a Bob White and it sailed way off and hitting some bushes down there. And I, I said, man, I can find that bird down there. He said, if you find that bird, I'll take you turkey hunting next spring and we'll kill you a turkey. I said, all right. So I went down there and sure enough, the bird started fluttering. Mm-hmm. I guess the good Lord just said, here he is, you know. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I found that bird and then that next spring, Dwayne took me turkey hunting and I've been just, just hooked bad ever since. Yeah, that. I think it's one of those things like deer hunting kind of gets in your blood. If if you like it, you it really does. like it. Yeah, it's, it's that's right. So it's a so, yeah. If turkey hunting, went, if, if turkeys gobble in the fall or do like it in the spring, I probably never deer hunt. <laughs> yeah, deer hunting's just kind of <laughs> something to get you through to the spring, then, huh? That's right. That's exactly right. It's. I mean, I I, I love the peace time of sitting up there in a tree, but mm-hmm. you know, the turkey and turkeys, you can kind of create your own luck. You right, know, you, right. you can walk and create and cover enough ground and and finally you can run across one that'll answer you and then the, then it's you against him yeah you can kind of manipulate you know? them a little better yes sir and then deer hunting and i i you still got all your scouting and everything but mm-hmm. you know things have still got to work out right you still yep. got to have a little bit of luck that he decided to come this way today instead yep. of going the other way you still got to go by your tree or you're blind <laughs> that's right and, and, uh, it's hard to go get I, them that's right, and I love it. I mean, I love the deer hunt, but if I had to pick just one thing to hunt, it'd be turkeys. That's for sure. It's uh, it's amazing to me how many of the guys that are big names in the industry that are known for being deer hunters actually got their start in turkey hunting and turkey calling and stuff like that. Yeah, that's true. It is true. There's a bunch of them. Mm-hmm. It, uh, I it's think. Yeah. So. Did you start doing all this travel and turkey hunting before the competitions or after or during? How'd that come about? I actually started them. Uh, I actually started traveling. I'd go into Missouri when I first got into turkey hunting real big. And then, you, you know, somebody's got to give you the little tips and, and show you a few little tricks. And that's why I was going with Dwayne Holmes. We was running in Missouri and Mississippi, and Alabama and places like that. And then it, you know, you just, you just get that drive. You just want to do better, keep wanting to do better. You know, I hear these guys then, back in them days, you was hearing oh, Ben Lee and uh, all the Ray I mm-hmm. and all them guys back in them days and Walter Parrott and all that bunch, you know, was just calling. And mm-hmm. I thought, man, I wish I could ever get to where I could just call with them. I'd love to have the same call that he's running to see if I could sound like that, stuff mm-hmm. like that. Right. It was, uh, it was a lot of fun. I mean, it, but, you're right. That's where a lot of, I mean, it's more popularity, I guess, in the contest calling, or it's more noticeable, especially like in the Grand National at Nashville, right. where it's seen worldwide than it is just deer. Right, right. Or it seems like in this part of the country it is anyway, in this area. But mm-hmm. I think the farther south you go, the bigger the, the turkey hunting thing gets, too. Maybe that's because partially the size of the deer in the southern part of the country versus the a turkey's a turkey you know if he's got a beard yeah, on him right. a long beard's a long beard yep hey them old turkeys down there in the south now that alabama mississippi they the real deal you can tell people been hunting them all you know forever <laughs> yeah hey them old jokers you gotta cross every t and dot every i kill one of them jokers down there now they slick yep yeah that I've been fortunate enough to kill a bird the last couple of years, and it's the first two years I've actually been spring turkey hunting, so that tells you how smart some of them are around here. <laughs> uh, I tell you, having a good place, is it can really mean more than anything. Yep. You know, if, yep. if you're hunting, a, I don't care where you're hunting or if you're hunting with hair all night or 
or Rip Dickerson or any of them. If, you, if it ain't no turkeys there, you ain't going to kill it. I don't That's care right. how good a caller you are. That's right. We talk about that all the time with, with deer hunting. As guys want to kill, you know, 200-inch deer, if there's not a 200-inch deer on your property, you're not going to kill one, you know? That's exactly right. Biggest deer on your property might be that 5-year-old 150-inch buck, and that's the same. <laughs> that'd be the same trophy to you as someone who's got a 200 because you ain't got a 200 around, you know? That's exactly right. Yeah. It, and it, it's so many it, deer hunting is so deceiving. You hear so many people want to say, boy, I seen a giant. I seen a giant the other day. You know, he's out in the bean field down there every day. Well, a giant to one person might not be a giant to somebody else. You know, right. it, it's such a bit, 125 or 130 inch deer to some person is a really good deer. Yep. yep. And then, and I don't blame them a bit. If that's what they want to kill, that's perfect. You that's know? right. But, it's other people that kind of got their standards set a little higher and they look for one a little better. But mm-hmm. There's also that, that ground shrinkage thing, because actually last year <laughs> uh, a buddy of mine and his neighbor, he my, the buddy of mine had, a, had pictures of this deer, and the neighbor had saw it during season, and he told him that there was a, a 160-plus running around on him. Well, come to find out, this deer got killed, and he ended up scoring – I think 130 and some change, somewhere in the low 130s. So that that, that goes into it, too, and you got guys adding 30 inches to the deer. Yeah, on the 30 hook. inches between friends, right? That's exactly right, yeah. yeah. You see that on the social media a lot, you know, the guys that, you know, they killed it, they proud of it, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But if it scores 120, don't tell everybody that it scores 160 because most right. people know the difference. That's right, know? that's right. <laughs> yep. And like you said, it don't matter if you're happy with it, 120. Ain't nothing happy, wrong with it. That's all that matters. That's right. I've had guys come up here. And, well, Scott Ellis, a great friend of mine, one of the best turkey callers in the world from Woodhaven, and he helped me a whole lot in turkey calling. Mm-hmm. Him and his wife would come up here hunting and from Florida. Well, you know, the first deer walked by him. He ain't never seen a deer that big, right. 130 inches or so, you know, from down there in Florida. Yeah. And I, and I tell him when he gets there, I said, dude, if you're happy with it, shoot it i'm tickled to death if mm-hmm. you're happy i'm happy you know yeah there is some better ones around here but if that looks good to you let's do it you know yeah that's right that's right and i think uh you kind of hit the nail on the head there a little bit that social media thing a lot of people are like almost ashamed of what they're shooting or think they got to shoot something bigger just because of what they saw on instagram or facebook and it's like like you said yeah. you know if that's what you want shoot it and then don't don't apologize for it that's exactly right, sir. That's it. Yeah, if you like the looks of it enough you, and you want to shoot it, just don't be ashamed of it. You that's right. Don't be ashamed of it. You know, that's uh, a trophy. As I always said, the trophy's in the eye of the behold. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And there's nothing wrong with, you know, if that deer looks good and he's on it. Who cares? what? I've I seen a saying the other day, said, if you're going to worry about what the score is or measurements, you ought to be a tape pe- or ruler maker, <laughs> yardstick <laughs> builder or something. You know? Yep. There you go. That's a good one. <laughs> Yeah, you ought to have been a yardstick maker. Yep. So let's back up a little bit here and uh, get back to where, you know, kind of your your past a little bit. So is the turkey calling circuit what got you hooked up with Night and Hail in the first place, or was there something, a step between the two? How how did all that come about? Yeah, I went to the Kentucky. It was my second time there in 1985. I went to the Kentucky State Calling Contest, and I won it. Well, it happened to be Harold and David was there as the guest speakers and the mm-hmm. and, and the show or the special guests or whatever. Well, after the show, David come up to me and said, hey, how about joining up with Night and Hell here? I said, you're a local guy from Kentucky, and uh, we'd like to have you on our pro staff. And it, then it 
you know, the good Lord just blessed me from then on. You know, uh -huh. I got to run all over the place and traveling with Harold and David. You know, you're driving down the interstate, look over, and you're sitting in a truck with night and hell, like, man, how'd this happen? You <laughs> right. Know? right. Pinch but, yourself, uh, make sure you're still awake. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And then uh, it's, but the, the calling has, from 1990 to where it is now, the guys that won the Grand National in 1990, probably wouldn't even get qualified now no kidding I mean, people have just upped the level of that calling now that it's just i mean they'll fool you now you take people like matt van Syce and dave owens and jesse martin the top some of the top callers in the world scott ellis mm -hmm. if he was off in a blow the hill there from you from 60 yards i don't know that you could tell them from a real turkey yeah yeah i mean they're that good so What's uh, being a pro staffer back in that day for Night and Hail look like? Well, you got a pretty silver jacket and a couple of shirts to wear mm -hmm. with Night and Hail on them. But, you know, and that was a big thing then. You got to wear it and represent a company's emblem. While you, you know, were calling? Which, yeah, nowadays it's, and I mean, it's still a great honor, but it's not near as hard to make a pro staff nowadays as it used to be. Right. It used to be, you know, you had to, somebody was up on the stage or somebody that was winning or perform or do something, which nowadays it don't seem to be, it's a lot of people on the pro staff like, you know, why is he here? You know, what's he doing? But, right. Right. You know, but it, it's, and that's nothing wrong. I mean, it's good that you advertise because the more people you got wearing with your name on your shirt, you know, it looks that much better at a big show or something. Yeah, yeah. But uh, you feel like the internet probably has a lot to do with that too, because, like you said back then, you'd have to you have to either be seen by somebody that could put you on a pro staff or seen by somebody who knows someone that could put you on a pro staff. That's it. You're right. But yeah, your name had to be up noticed somewhere. You know, for they would. Uh, yeah, it's not the social media has blow everything way up, way yeah. out of proportion. I ain't gonna say out of proportion, but it's so much larger now than than it was back in 1990 yeah well there's no barrier to entry with it and everybody can have a instagram page or a youtube channel anymore you know <laughs> it's like free advertisement that's yeah. exactly right yep that's what it is so so uh, you got on pro staff for night and hail and then you said you were with them for 30 years is that right yeah until they finally retired okay and they sold to pradco mm -hmm. and uh then Harold still had a little bit of interest in it, and which I'm truly blessed. Well, I was just down there this uh, this last week helping Harold build his food plots, planting yeah. his food plot, driving his track. I mean, I've, I've become really a close personal friends with them. I was, and I was truly blessed because I thank the world of both them guys. But, mm -hmm. but yeah, when they retired, Harold was kind of with Pradco, and then uh, Bone Collector, he went with uh, Michael with Bone Collector. So Michael called me. Mm -hmm. and asked me about being with the Bone Collector Pro staff and calling for them. So, actually, I made the finals in the Grand National two years in a row as calling for the Bone Collector yeah. crew. And then uh, things kind of went south with that. And then uh, Rip, then he was, Rip was actually doing the Bone Collector Pro staff. Okay. And things kind of went south there, and, and Rip's just like a brother to me. And when he went to Woodhaven, he kept on me, said, man, when you going to come on with us? When you going to come on with us? And and finally, it just felt right one day, and, and uh, I talked to Pentecost and Rip, and and I went on back, back down to Woodhaven with them guys the last three years, and it feels 
there again, it, it feels like family again, just like mm-hmm. the night hell. You know everybody. Everybody's so friendly, and and it's uh, it's uh, yeah, it's just like a big family. I mean, it's really, really good, really good company, and they take so much pride in their stuff. But I was just down there yesterday, helping them on some deer calls and stuff. We was assembling some, and mm-hmm. I was talking to Robin, Mike's wife, and how they really quality is the one of their main issues and they was looking at it and over all the calls they sell like over half a million mouth calls and box calls and everything they have less than one percent return of their stuff i mean so they you know you have to pay a little bit more for it but it's that much better call than you buy off the shelf yeah no that that matters too you know you don't want to be you don't want to get a call that you're going to use three times and then and then throw it out i think we talked to rip a little bit about that too like you'll go to these shows and some guys selling calls for next to nothing well that's all fine and dandy he might make some money at that show but no one is ever buying a call off of him again that's right that's right but yeah almost everybody that uses woodhaven calls i mean your friction calls your boxes and your pots and stuff i mean you know they're gonna last for years yeah but your mouth calls if you target hunt a lot you know one two two years, maybe three years at the most, and you're going to need some more. Well, every one of them guys ever bought one, they all come back and buy mm-hmm. another. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's, but yeah, it's a really a great company. And, and uh, that's how I ended up with them. And, and I've been forcing the last few years, you know, make the grand national finals. Uh, I finished well, six is the highest place I've ever got so far down there. But so what's, uh, well, what goes into all, what goes into making the, the grand nationals uh, and the finalist and, What's that look like once you get there? Just kind of walk us through that whole experience. <laughs> okay. Well, you got to win or play second behind somebody that is already qualified. Okay. Sanction contests to even be able to go to the Grand Nationals. Okay. Okay. Then once you get, usually it's about 45 or 50 callers, and they will get down there and they'll have a preliminary round. Everybody, well, the, as the contest goes, say it's five calls. Well, they'll go through everybody that does the calls, and then they'll cut it to uh, thir- usually 13 callers, uh, 12. They'll cut it to 12, and the guy that won the world championship in Mobile and the guy that won the Grand National the previous year is already qualified for the finals. Okay. So they'll pick 12 out of those 40-something and go to the finals, and then they change it on the, in the finals – and then now they do a scenario, and uh, it's uh, like the first one. You, it's a turkey's waking up in a swamp in Mississippi. Uh, he and lost her little one, and mm-hmm. Jake come in gobbling, and you've got a, a a number of calls that you've got to do, but you've got to perform that whole scenario. Okay. When you walk out there, you got three minutes from doing a. When the turkeys wake up, he flies down. He walks around the field feeding. And, you know, all those calls, these judges has to listen for those calls, and, and you just make it a scene. Mm-hmm. And it, and uh, it, it's really tough because a lot of times as a caller, if we've got four calls, we're going to do a yelp, a fly down, kike, or a kiki, and say a cluck and purr. Mm-hmm. Well, all of us have built a call just for that call to do it the best we can. Right. Well, when you get in that scenario, you're trying to put it all together with no idle time, and you got four calls, usually one in your mouth and three stuck between your fingers. <laughs> right. <laughs> so you run running one, you yank it out, put the other one in, hope it ain't stuck. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. Nervous, you hope your hands ain't shaking bad enough, you drop them. Mm-hmm. But uh, 
you know, it gets pretty, pretty hairy at times, but it's, I mean, it's, I can understand a lot of, a lot of the older callers don't like it because they'd rather just do the set calls. Right. Cause it, it's, it's, it's more of a studio type thing, more of, of a show. Mm-hmm. And it's just, uh, but I can see uh, the audience loves it. Oh yeah. They can see the whole, how the all unfolds. Right. The turkey flying down from the whole story to, you know, gobbler fight and breaking up and they bust up. And it's, it's, uh, it's really a show. It's really good. Yeah. So it, it is tough to do up there in the finals. So how many people are, are watching you up there fumble around with those calls? <laughs> <laughs> well, they're in the, in the it'll be about 5,000 people there watching. Wow. But the hardest thing of all, when you walk out on that stage and the people can't see it, mm-hmm. but it, right underneath the stage, there's a clock. Yeah. And as soon as you make your first note, you got three minutes. Okay. To run through all of them. So you're constantly looking at that lock, at that clock. And then there's a great big TV monitor, which is on everywhere all over the country. Right. That big TV monitor arm swinging around there and coming right down in your face and <laughs> looking right at you. you know, that's a price you know, of being yeah. famous right there. Yeah, that, that's the hardest place in the world to blow a turkey call. I, ever been <laughs> I bet it is. Yeah. So, so you get, is it they just run everybody through a different scenario or everybody gets the same scenario? And it's and it's three minutes, and then you're done. You only get three minutes on the stage. Or do you get multiple scenarios? And I apologize for not knowing anything about this, but we don't do a ton of turkey hunting, and I feel like yeah. probably some of our listeners would be interested in this too. <laughs> but no, they actually do two scenarios. We, like they'll give you a list of causes, three different scenarios they'll come up with. So another one may be a you're on a ridge top in Pennsylvania in the fall, and the flock's busted up, and you got to call a little turkey's back with assembly yelping and kiki yelping. Mm-hmm. And all that kind of stuff. But then it, that day, or 24 hours before your contest, they'll post the calls out there, which scenario it'll be. Mm-hmm. But but you have three minutes. It'll be two of them, and you'll have three minutes to do each scenario. Okay. So and what? It, how is I've that? I've never judged it, but it looks to me like it would be really hard to judge. Yeah, I was actually going to ask who, who kind of judges these things, and how do you, like, are they previous callers, guys that used to do it? Are they, I mean, wh- why are they the judges, I guess? Yeah, most time it's it's the big-name fellows from year ago. I mean, you have Harold Knight. You'll have Joe Drake, mm-hmm. uh, Ray I. Uh, a lot of times Steve Stokes, a judge. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's it's all big-name yeah. uh, fellows that's been in the industry a long time that really know turkeys and know the turkey sounds. And, right. You know, it, it, it's a, it'd be an honor just to be selected to judge that. Right, right. So there's a – who selects those judges? Is there a committee or something that, that picks the judges for that? Yes, sir. There's a Mark Padone and Brian Lovett. They're okay. over the contest, but it's all sanctioned through the NWTF. Right, you know, right. South Carolina, but they're all in charge of all that, which Mark Padone is the most – I think he's won more grand national titles than anybody. He's got like 19 titles or something. Wow. <laughs> so, I mean, he, he's something. So, but, he's uh, he's okay at, at calling it. Oh, yeah. He knows what he's listening for, I promise. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You know, if you slip one little note, them guys hear it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they know what it was. Uh, I, just, I assume you said it's kind of like family off the stage. No one ever gives you a hard time if you mess up, do they? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Shoot, yeah. Uh, that's part of what makes not, it fun. Yeah, they might not right then because they know you're kind of down. And right. 
you know, aggravated at yourself. But then, yeah, the, in an hour or two later when it's over. Yeah, when you're drinking beers. Yeah, they and they going to make fun of you they're yeah. going to walk by and slip one. Yeah, yeah that, that sounds about right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, you know, it, and everybody's okay with that. It's, it's a, it, it's, I don't know, I've told them, like I used to play high competition level softball and stuff once I got out of school, and, and, and man, everybody is almost like enemies. Right. You know, we, we wanted to beat them so bad and didn't, didn't want to talk to them or nothing. But just turkey calling, even at the highest levels, like the Grand Nationals, mm-hmm. off that stage, I think everybody would do anything for anybody. Right. I mean, it's, it's just different. It's, it's, they're really good people. I yeah. mean, to, to be even the big names, people, they're, they're just as humble and just uh, go down to earth as I am out here in the country. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's kind of a cool culture around all of that. And I've, you know, I've, like I said, I've been turkey hunting the last couple of years and I've, Man, I'm hooked on it now. I I love doing it, watching the birds work and listening to them and having them come into the decoys and all that stuff. Uh, we're just having one hung up and being stubborn and trying to go get him. Uh, all of that stuff, and it's kind of fun for me because it's something new to learn and new to do. I've been hunting deer for all my life, basically. So it's something new that that's fun to do and learn. And uh, Nate, the other guy that does a podcast with us, he's a better caller than he lets on, and he's helped me a bunch just getting to know everything and how to do it and all that. So I've been fortunate to have him to help me out, but uh, there's, I think just the culture around turkey hunting in general, and I think it's probably even stronger in the, uh, the farther South you go is, is pretty cool. Yes, sir. You're exactly right. It, it, Cause you know, like it, they've been hunting turkeys down there since the beginning of time. Right. Right. Yes. In Alabama, they've had turkeys forever, you know? Yep. And, uh, yeah. It's a good thing. Cause they don't have no big deer down there, do they? No, the deer's shrunk. <laughs> Yeah, I remember the first time I went to Mississippi, we was down just outside of Natchez and walked in there, and, and I thought they was goats or beagle hounds or something. Jumped up and come off, I said, man, there goes some dogs or something. Oh, man, them are deers. Yeah. I said, what? Yeah. He yeah. said, yeah, them are deers. Oh, man. I said, they don't look like deers in western Kentucky. <laughs> no, no doubt about that. Yeah, especially western Kentucky. You're in the part where you got some ag mixed in there too, huh? Yeah, yeah, it's all a lot of agriculture yep. here. It, it looks a whole lot like southern Illinois. I was going to say, it's pretty similar to it, where we're at. Yes, sir. It don't have the, you know, the minerals or like y'all got in the ground and everything over there. Right. Yeah, we got some really quality deer, you know, around here. Our worst thing here with the deer is they bring gun season in for three straight weeks with a rival, right? That's crazy. Part of the rut. That's crazy. And, I mean, they just smoke them, boy. Man, it's bad enough here when they, it's, Right smack in the middle of the rut for three days. I can't imagine three weeks. Yeah, three straight weeks. And it kind of starts the second Saturday in November and runs through Thanksgiving with a high-powered rifle. And, that, you know, they give you one buck, but they give you unlimited dose. Yeah. So half these old rednecks, they got a tag in the pocket to be out there, and you think a 140, 50-inch deer walk out in front of them, they're going to shoot it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know. <laughs> yep. That, yeah, that's... Like I said, Illinois, the three days is bad enough right there. It's like it's always the the Friday before Thanksgiving, so it's right usually around the lockdown phase for us, but mm-hmm. they don't get much chance to lock down if they're with a doe that time of year because they got them running all over the place. The old Orange Army comes out, and uh, <laughs> those deer are looking for shovels to dig holes with. Yes, sir. Yeah, we, yeah it's just like out here. We got three, three straight weeks of it. Man, I – and then that's a whole new challenge if you go back to bow hunt after something like that too, because those deer are so on edge. You think they's on edge, you know, before, 
But golly, after that, they've been shot at so many times for three days, six days here, and then three weeks in a row. I, man, what's left? Yeah, yeah what's left <laughs> of them? It's terrible. I know. I, I remember a time or two in December, be bow hunting, and deer's be walking around, and a leaf fall. And as soon as it hit that leaf, them deer just jumped, flinched. <laughs> yeah. like, man, you know, I feel sorry for them little fella. They scared to death. Yeah, they got PTSD at a very early age. <laughs> yeah. Just any little movement, they just about pee down both legs. You know, <laughs> yep. it scares them, boy. Yep. You see a few of them always limping around that time of year, too. Like, like they got a bad leg from being shot. <laughs> yes, sir. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty crazy. And I can't imagine even with the rifle thing. You know, Illinois just passed. Uh, a rifle season, but it's pretty strict regulations on it. Straight-walled stuff. Uh, it's not like you're not out there hunting with a 270 still or a 300 Win Mag, but that kind of stuff, guys are even even more confident in how far they're shooting and and how much they're shooting. You know, I can't imagine. Oh, it's it's, it's yeah, you, it's that. Well, I, I wouldn't in Vietnam, but it, I just picture that that's what Vietnam sound like <laughs> here the first about Saturday opening day. Morning. Yeah. Oh man, it sounds like popcorn, like a big dove feel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you go. I I'd hunted gun season a few times in the past, but I always heard more shots than I saw deer. So it, it just wasn't worth it for <laughs> me. Always scared the hell out of me when he was a youngster out yeah. there during gun season too. You know. Yeah, you make you scared to even walk. I don't oh, yeah. get out of it before dark. I don't get in it. You see, it's dark when I get in it. Don't get out until dark. That's you right. Scared to death, and I make sure I got a light. You on. got I told him swing a flashlight like he's landing a seven forty seven. Man, like, yeah, that's, that's right. I just don't know. That's right. Yeah, yeah. That's but no. Back back to that family thing. I mean, yeah. You run into, I mean, like like old Rick. I mean, you run into so many people, like him and Harold and David and and you know now like Mike Pentecost or. Them guys that work down at the shop, mm-hmm. you know, ski down, and know, uh, it, it, it's it's just unreal that the the friends that, that I've made through this outdoor industry. It's just you know, there's so many of them that if I had to went to jail, had to make one call, I wouldn't know which one of them to call. <laughs> yep. I believe they'd yep. all be there. Try I to do. figure out who would be there the fastest. Yeah. Would be the only thing, yeah. Yeah, try to think who ain't done went to bed yet. Yeah. A lot of them are going to go to bed about 8, 8, 30. There you go. Get mine in your age. You got to go to bed a little earlier, right? Yeah, yeah. I, it don't bother me to go to bed about 9 o'clock. I kind of like it. So yeah. going back to your night and hail days, um, and did you have a lot of say-so in product development, or did they just kind of develop a call and say, hey, try this out, and what do we need to do, or did you just take the call and, and tweak it to your liking? or how, what, does that, what did that look like back then? Well, really, the only development I had on one was working on the mouth calls because that was kind of my cup of tea, mm-hmm. uh, running mouth calls for turkeys. But most of the time, we'd always have the prototypes, you know, for this year to go try them, hunt with them, see how they work out. Then we know if we want to put them on, online for next year to sell. So but the development of the mouth calls was about all I ever had any of that to do with. Okay. Uh, you have but, a uh, similar role now, I guess, with Woodhaven. You got some input on on the mouth calls, then. Yes, sir. And and they've been letting me help uh, build some owl hooters. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Scott Ellis and and Rip and Skeet come up with it a lot. Yeah. But uh, I I just assemble a lot of them. But uh, yeah, that's you know you were kind of talking about those guys and that family thing and just the industry in general. That's one thing that we've kind of found out. You know through doing just doing the podcast even getting to meet all these new people and everybody all the people you want to talk to i guess have 
similar ideas, I guess, um, kind of similar outlook on things. And we're all kind of trying to achieve a similar goal, I think it is. And, and when you meet people like that, it's easy to root for them. And then, you know, that leads to meeting other people who are like-minded as well. And it's, like you said, it is kind of like a family thing. And, you know, I can get on here with you and, and talk for an hour like we've known each other forever. And we just met. I mean, we just <laughs> said hi for the first time probably 45 minutes ago, you know. That's right. That's exactly right. That's, that's perfectly said, buddy. That's good. That's, that's, but that is true. I mean, it. Uh, I think that's I that's not found in a lot of other places either, especially in today's world and the culture we live in. Outside of the outdoor industry, I I think you'd be hard pressed to find the same kind of community. And not to say we don't have our knuckleheads and the idiots out there in the industry as well. <laughs> you know, they they're always a few yes, that, that find their way and slip through. However, but for the majority, uh, like I said, pretty like minded, and it, I think you'd be hard pressed to find that anywhere else. I agree with you one hundred percent, buddy. I sure do. It, it would be tough. It, uh, you know, I, I'll talk to at least two or three guys that's, you know, callers or in the industry working on with Woodhaven or with guys I'd met through at shows and stuff all through the country. I'll talk to two or three different ones every day. Seems mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. and and they're close enough friends now that, you know, if if I feel like, hey, I want to go to nebraska and kill a turkey well, i pick up the phone call and say hey man i'm gonna come out there and go hunt next time well come on yeah you know that's what they're gonna say yep i want to go to tennessee come on all right you know and it's just that kind of friendship yeah yeah for sure you know? and you come even from a time and maybe you can correct me if i'm wrong but it, it, like back in the 80s it was probably even a smaller community then um yes you know just yes. because y'all you had to do a lot more face to face, and you, and there was not as many people because of the like you said the barrier to entry today is nothing, but back then it seemed like it was probably even a, even smaller tight knit community even at that point. It was it it really was that was back in the Chris Parish and uh, like I said the Walter Parrot and the Mark Drury he used to call professional turkey calling also mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you know back in them days and and yeah it was always the same little old group of guys show up you know like. Who's on? Who, who's on? Who's hot this week? Who, right. You know, he, he gonna win this week. He got last last week. He'll win it this week. Right. You know? And and that contest, it everybody now at that level, they are so good that you could take a set of judges and run one contest and take your top three. Well, you could go take another set of judges, and it'd probably be a complete different top three. Right. Because every one of them has got a turkey that they like the most in their head as a judge. Yeah. Well, this guy, he's got more rasp. I like that. This yeah. other guy's got a higher pitch. I like that. But every one of them are turkeys that just spend on which turkey those judges like the best that day. Mm-hmm. So do you and, see, do you see like the same judges around a circuit or is it usually, I mean, do they vary from where you're going place to place? Yeah. Most of them they'll vary like, and, and they've got to where now, like, I blow air the open class mm-hmm. and like, like when I was in Tennessee last weekend, they asked me to judge the friction part mm-hmm. when the guys are running the friction. So, you know, I run, I judge the friction for them and they do vice versa. A lot of times the friction guys will judge and uh, judge the open or the air. Right. But then at Nashville now it's at the grand national level, you got to, you know, they're not just going to go out there on the street and just stop somebody and say, hey, you, know, you come judge it. <laughs> you want to judge this? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's somebody that's usually been in the industry a while and 
kind of got a name of knowing what a turkey's supposed to sound like and you so, know it, it's a little bit different level so have you, you judged much there. friction before or, or do you judge quite yeah, a bit I, I, i've actually judged the grand national finals in the friction before a couple of times well that's that's got to be kind of a quite an honor doesn't it I mean, yeah, you feel honored to be able to do that. It felt pretty good to get asked. It yeah, really did. yeah, I would think. To get asked. And uh, when them guys, it's like, it's like I said, it, it's it's unbelievable the sounds they can make with a stick and a piece of slate. <laughs> I, I can make sounds, that. but it ain't nowhere close to that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, I never thought that friction would ever get the realism that a person can do with air and that kind of stuff. You know, you seem like you just got so much more realism with airflow and more re- realism, and I guess is what you call it. But these guys now with these friction, with these pot calls and these box calls, I mean, I mean, man, they turkey, they good. Yeah. Yeah. You know, them top twelve callers between the top five callers, there probably wouldn't be six points difference from fifth to first. So you know, it's a lot of half points that divide them up. Yeah, yeah. So when you're talking about guys that are winning on the big stage, are, is it usually somebody that you know? How often is it a guy's getting in Grand Nationals that you really hadn't heard of or didn't know much about? But it's always some new boys that, you know, coming up. And it's some great young callers. But once you get to that level, the nerves is going to kick their tail the yeah. first two or three years. <laughs> yep. You know, That's you old guys still got a little on the youngsters, don't we? Yeah, you know, that, that guy's got some great sounds, but, you know, his nerves, he's going to have to learn to calm down. And, right. And it's a lot of, a lot of presentation in it down there because everybody's so good, you've actually got to present it. Mm-hmm. you got to make your judges feel like they can see that sound instead of just standing up there and running through it. Right, right. But, uh, yeah, after a couple of years now, and it's a lot of great young callers just coming up. I mean, it's, it's a growing sport. It's one yeah. of the few... Like, you know, it used to be duck calling and goose calling. You hear all oh, over yeah. the country and stuff. Yeah. But you don't hear much about that anymore. But turkey calling the Grand National, that's just 56,000 people down there. That's that's crazy. <laughs> and that unreal? It's crazy. I mean, it's great for the sport, but that's that's just unreal. Yeah. Just, you know, at the NWTF convention show there, it was over 56,000 people. And that's in, and that's in Nashville, right? Yeah, it's Opryland Hotel. Yeah, so that's, I mean, that's a great location for it, too, because that's pretty central to most of your turkey hunting population, I would think. Yes, sir. I mean, Nashville's like four hours from everywhere. That's right. At the most, you know. That's right. You're exactly right. Yep. Yep. So You can come from Montgomery, Alabama, up there in four hours. Yep. You can come from Indianapolis, Indiana, down in about four hours. Uh Uh-huh. Yep, and where we're at, it's, it's right. Yeah, yeah, we're closer hours. to Nashville than we are Chicago, but <laughs> yeah. yeah, in more ways than one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, we go up to Iowa every year for the Deer Classic, and I mean that's an unbelievable show too. But it's, I guess you know, for for big whitetails, that's fairly centrally located. You know, aside from being down in Missouri, but they don't have the deer that Iowa does. And and when you think right. whitetail hunting, you think Iowa, so there's that draw to it, but. Yeah, that's. I gotta imagine those are probably a couple of the biggest outdoor expos that there are. The the Iowa Deer Classic, the Dixie Deer Classic, I know is another big one, and then the NWTF show is just. I mean, that's a whole nother level too. <laughs> it's, it really is, and the environment around there in that big hotel, you know, it's just mm-hmm. perfect. For it. it's, mm-hmm. Most people all stay in the in the hotel, and then you know after the calling contest or the show shuts down a lot of them a lot of us just hang out up there and have a drink together and oh yeah yeah 
just just have a great time for about three days. It's like a big. I've heard a lot of them say it's just like a big family, big turkey family reunion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you have because at every family reunion there's that cousin or the uncle that no one wants to talk to? <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you have those guys at the at the turkey family reunion? Oh yeah, yeah. There's one in every crowd. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I think. Always one in is. Every crowd. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I was, I was going to mention to you, too, I know I heard Rip's broadcast podcast with y'all. Uh-huh. I, he was dogging out about using the wooden ladder stands on the tree. <laughs> yeah, that was you. That was you? <laughs> yeah, it was me. Yeah. He did not say anything. He did not <laughs> He did not give us an inclination who that was. So we're yeah, glad that, that mystery's been solved. <laughs> sure was. That was me. That was still some of my old daddies and my granddaddy's tricks. You know, we had them old big wooden ladders, and we just went up the tree. And then leave the stand up there and just take the ladder yeah. back home. Yeah. It was a whole lot easier. That's great. Uh, he just well, didn't have the same kind of nerves that no, you did, did he? No. <laughs> yeah. He said, man, you're crazy. I ain't getting in that. I said, well, I'm going to shoot that deer if you don't get <laughs> So he climbed up there and killed him yeah. about 154, 155. Oh, that's year. awesome. That's <laughs> great. That's a great story. <laughs> it's crazy, too, because everybody's got those – those old stands or those old stories that happened with some stands or, uh, like I know dad, you guys used to run a lot of just oh, yeah. TV towers and dog chains with some plywood on them, you know? <laughs> yes, sir. Yep. Yes, yeah. sir, buddy. Absolutely. Yep. And I I'm, still got a couple of old TV towers tied up. Oh yeah. Well, the straps might not I got some down there. Well, you got to have that dog chain that's grown into the tree now. So. <laughs> that's exactly right. Oh yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> shoot well hey i don't want to we're getting a little short on time i don't take up too much of your evening so um is there anything else you want to leave everybody with before we get you out of here because anything we didn't cover that you'd like to hit on or anything like that no man i i just i really appreciate y'all giving me an opportunity to do this absolutely and, and, you know if i can ever help you guys in any way y'all just holler back at me and, and we'll do it again and and you know you get time on your hands when to come to west kentucky and kill a turkey or deer or something you give me a call hey don't right tempt him on them turkeys man <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> he is bitten by the bug yep yeah well, well rip now he done tagged out up here the last couple of years so Did he? you know it's a, it's a couple turkeys around here so yeah yeah that's good uh for sure i mean yeah like he said out and nate i know it's the same way especially if you offer to feed him <laughs> <That's> <laughs> be, he don't even care about the turkeys he'll be down there no, to eat no, no. <laughs> killing he, turkeys be a bonus that's right yeah. He moves pretty, uh, I don't want to say slow, but pretty methodical. Unless he's hungry, then he'll run your ass over. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, and we'll for but sure. Hey, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll for sure um, get you back on here, too, because I want to talk some more turkey stuff. I know it's kind of turned into a turkey podcast, which is awesome. Uh, I was telling Rip on the phone, we need to have more turkey guys on, especially get closer to the spring. So sometime after deer season wraps up, We'll get you on another one, and we'll talk some more turkey stuff, and yeah. maybe get into we'll like some calls and stuff. Yeah, that'd be great. Get to more some calling stuff and some strategy stuff on birds. So that'd be cool too. We can sure do it, buddy. I've been chasing jokers almost forty years now, so yeah, we can do it. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, hey, again, appreciate you coming on and talking with us for a little bit. I uh, can't say thanks enough to Rip for hooking us up too. So that's right. Um, that's right. It's been a lot of fun, man. All right, guys. Thank y'all very much. All right. See you, Sean. Thanks.